Perhaps the most memorable coming out only next Tuesday, and those lined up outside to be the first ones to purchase it will have to bear the cold and rainy weather for just a few more days. Then some other big C-lip news. Professional skateboarder and former MTV star Ryan Sheckler is getting married. He announced his engagement to Abigail Balloon on Instagram with photos of the proposal on a Texas ranch where the couple spent time together with family for Thanksgiving. You might remember Ryan from the reality TV show Life of Ryan in which he lived the high life of alcohol partying and lots of sleeping around with pretty girls. But Ryan says that his life has changed once he gave his life back to Jesus, and he became a Christian. His fiancée Abigail is also a Christian. In an interview with Graham Bensinger for the show In Depth with Graham, Ryan admitted that they were not going to have sex before marriage, mentioning that it is so much better for them to wait until they say, I do. Ryan, we wish you all the best. Now let's dial in another caller. This is C- for the bride here she is bro Ryan's longtime friend and best man says yes he thinks there she is his bride dressed in white pure and beautiful saved for him they did it they saved sex for marriage they saved that deep intimacy until they would say I do and now they're about to say those precious words. To be forever united emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Here comes the bride, his bride. Today we have gathered here together for the wedding of Brian Sheckler. Danique Tersmet, and you are listening to the Little Light Studios podcast, a show in which we seek to answer your most challenging Bible questions. Ryan Sheckler started skateboarding at the age of two and quickly became obsessed with it. He was so good that he went pro at the age of 13 and kept winning competition after competition. Bring the noise for Ryan Sheckler! By the age of 17, MTV caught on and offered him his own reality TV show. And that's when his fame became truly widespread with lots of teenage girls idolizing the young California skateboarder. Ryan soon found himself partying and drinking more and more to the point where he became a full-blown alcoholic. It was in rehab that he started reading a daily devotional that his mother gave him called Letters from Jesus. He opened the book to that day's date, which was his first day in rehab, which said that he would never be alone. Jesus would never forsake him. It was right there and then that he gave his life back to Christ. 
His life as a newborn Christian also meant that he was determined to not have sex before marriage again. So, when he started dating his girlfriend, Abigail Balloon, that's exactly what he did. They waited, and it was the best decision they could have made. There's a lot of questions Christians have about sex, but the church is not always a safe place to ask those. Often, sex is made seen as something mystical and forbidden, or a taboo, or we should all keep it hush-hush. Those who do ask questions are often shamed for it. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Derek and Elma Marie Heltzinger. With him being a family and lifestyle medicine physician, and her being a licensed therapist, they make quite the power couple, I should say. And they have a history of running marriage seminars and depression and anxiety recovery programs together and counseling young couples as they figure out the world of Christian dating. And obviously, they know quite a bit about the topic of sex, including why the Bible says that we should wait until we're married. We are here today to, uh, to talk about sex, which is a very, very sensitive issue. And we're going to talk about God's way of doing this right. And uh, we just want to say that up front that very, very few people uh, have actually done this perfectly. Uh, when Jesus uh, was brought to the lady who was caught in adultery, uh, he said to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. So God is the, the God of forgiveness and he's the God of redemption and he's the God of restoration. And so I just want to say uh, here, particularly in this uh, topic of sex, that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are not here to uphold ourselves uh, as perfect in any way, but to discuss openly this topic of sexuality according to the scriptures. Uh, and mistakes of the past, we confess, and we put them under the blood of Christ. And and this uh, is about moving forward. Uh, so where do we go from here uh, and move into God's way, which is the best way for us when it comes to uh, this topic of sex? Thank you so much, Dr. Derek, for that. Um, it's definitely a topic that is complicated, that is difficult. Um, and even when we talk about sex before marriage, a lot of people might not go all the way, as we so call it, um, sexual intercourse, but that there are still people who do, you know, other things. And like you said, who, whatever people might have done, they are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Um, but then to go dive into, our, the, I think, the most, most asked question among Christians, why do they have to wait until marriage? Well, I think... Uh the easiest way to answer that question is just uh, to start right off the bat is because God says so. Um, if we read in the Song of, uh, of Solomon uh, in chapter 2 and verse 7, as well as in chapter 8 and verse 4, the Bible states there that uh, we should not awake love until the time is right. And uh, if we look in uh, the book of Mark, and I just want to read that uh, text for us here. It says there, Jesus says, For this reason a man will leave his mother and, and his father uh, and united, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So 
God is the one that instituted marriage and he instituted sex in that setting and therefore it's, uh, it is good for us to do things God's way and wait until that time before we go ahead and uh, uh, participate in this gift that God has given. I think that's the, the number one reason. The other reason is, I think, is that uh, Jesus uh, says that uh, when uh, we even just think about these kind of things, we've already uh, committed adultery. We don't just commit adultery when we actually go with a person. Jesus says, even if you just think lustfully and lust after another woman, uh, you've already committed adultery in your mind with her. And so, uh, so I think uh, that's another reason, because Jesus says that it's adultery. You know, when it comes to sex, sex is the most powerful uh, release of dopamine into the human brain uh, that any person can do on a repeatable basis. I imagine more than eating chocolate. <laughs> more than eating chocolate, for sure. More than even cocaine and wow. heroin and other drugs. And so uh, the potential of addiction with this is very, very high. And therefore, God has given very strict rules as to how we need to practice this. Uh, and uh, therefore, if we want to do it correctly, it's good for us to follow God's way. So, Miss Elma, you had a thought, I think. Yes. I want to use the analogy of a fire. Having a fire in your fireplace in your house is so warming, and it's a place where your family can gather around. It bonds the family together. However, if that fire is inside a metal brick fireplace, it is a very strict boundary for it. If that fire was to get out of that fireplace, it will burn your house down. And... I believe that that is why God, in his mercy, in his love, he has given this incredible gift. It's God's idea. Sex is God's idea. He created it. He gave it as an incredible gift to a married couple. However, it must stay within the boundaries that he has given it. And then it brings bonding. It brings warmth to the relationship. But if it is used outside of those boundaries, it brings destruction. So you're a licensed therapist, mental health therapist. What happens to people psychologically if they're not married yet? And I also want to throw in this curveball. Some people might have committed for life in living together, but they're not married. So kind of like two questions in one. What happens psychologically? And then the second question being, well, what if people are committed for life? Well, the first thing I want to say is I recall when I uh, did my bachelor's degree in psychology, I was really astonished that in my psychology textbook, which was written from an evolutionary, totally secular point of view, no Christianity in the psychology at all, it stated there that the more sexual partners a person has had, the more it decreases their capacity for a sexual relationship of intimacy in its fullness. And I believe that that is many times why people will keep going from partner to partner, thinking, well, this person didn't have it, maybe the next person will have it. Um, and yet it, the more sexual partners we have, the less our capacity is to experience a deep relationship of intimacy that is physical, emotional, mental, and I believe spiritual as well. Yeah, I think also with uh, 
if if you follow the research and see what happens with people that have had multiple sex partners before they get married or commit for a life for a longer relationship, uh, their chances of divorce is much, much higher. And they, they all tend to fail in their marriages later on. And the correlation, there's a direct correlation between the number of uh, sex partners that you've had to the, the risk of divorce. So the higher the number, the higher the risk of divorce. Well, we know that redemption is possible with Jesus, right? Absolutely. So we won't say all, because, yeah. but it increases our risk. Yes, yes. And uh, the longevity, the chances of having a forever marriage is increased when we save ourselves as God has asked us to. Yeah, well, there's there's repentance and there's confession and there's uh, God that heals and that can uh, take a broken vessel and fix it. And uh, so there's always that aspect. But we're talking in general where people don't care and they just live their lives. Uh, then these things uh, spells uh, disaster in the long run. And the research has also shown that um, the fewer sexual partners we have is connected with greater happiness in the marriage. Yes. So people are much happier. They're much more content um, in their marriages when they've, this has been their only or, you know, just very few sexual partners in, in, their, in their life. Yeah. And the, the last thing that I just want to throw in here with regards to that question uh, is also is the risk of sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Obviously, yeah. you know, this is uh, uh, we live in a, in, a, in a time where there's lots of medications and things available. So people think that this is not such a big problem anymore. But uh, uh, the majority of these uh, uh, diseases that can be contracted, herpes, uh, you know, uh, HIV uh, and uh, HPV and uh, sexually uh, venereal warts and all these kind of things are all viruses for which we really do not have any effective treatment. So when somebody contracts some of these illnesses and these diseases, they have it for life. And so when you then get married to somebody down the line, you're going to have to tell the person, you know, I've got the bug. And uh, that person needs to make that decision whether they're going to or want to, you know, go ahead and live uh, in this relationship. Because if you're going to be exposed to this over the long run, you will eventually contract it as, as well. So these are all factors that you need to take into consideration before you go out and just play the field and have sex with anyone that you want to before you get married. Wow. Yeah, it seems like God just really put up this boundary, like you guys said, that he made it that, that you know, even as you said, Miss Elma, how people responded psychologically, I think it's because we're steering away from God's plan. And he knows what's best and he knows what we need and that uh, saving it for marriage is the most beautiful thing. Right. And I want to just add that when you buy a new car... You're going to read the owner's manual <laughs> and you're going to only want to put in the gas tank what the car says. If they say you're going to put 97 in this gas tank, you're going to put 97 in it. Not diesel. Right? <laughs> and you're, you're going to put the right oil in. You're not going to pour Coca-Cola down the oil tank or something. <laughs> um, and in the same way, God created us. He designed us and he knows what is going to be best for each of us. And I just want to say that our goal in marriage and I really am very grateful to God. God has blessed uh, Dr. Derek and myself um, that we are spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically one flesh union. And I believe that is the goal for all of us in a marriage. It's not just physical intimacy. That is like one 
dimensional sex, but when you have emotional intimacy and that commitment, the deep commitment, you have the uh, mental intimacy, you have the social intimacy, and you have spiritual intimacy together. It is just makes a five-dimensional sexual experience instead of a one-dimensional experience. And I believe that is what God designed for us. So let's say that there's, there's a couple, they're a Christian, and they've waited. Um, they, they now can experience what you said, five-dimensional sex instead of one-dimensional. Um, it's a man and it's a woman. They have different... They're different people. They're wired differently, uh, you know, emotionally, physically. How does the woman and how does the man in appropriate sex within marriage experience sex differently? Well, God, in his infinite wisdom, in his design, he has made that men and women experience sex completely differently. Women are like crockpots and men are like <laughs> microwaves, according to Gary Smalling. <laughs> and so for a woman, she needs um, sexual intimacy, or what can I say, relationship, emotional intimacy from the, the time she wakes up in the morning, you know, to have uh, words of affirmation and loving touches and staying in connection if, if her husband goes to work. To just call her and text her, hey, I'm thinking about you today. Um, and the tenderness and the, the loving relationship, that is what really um, is very, I would say, prepares the woman to make love to her husband that evening. You know, whereas a husband, men are just totally different. They may not be in touch with their wives at all. And that evening when they come home, okay, it can be... A certain time, okay, this is it. <laughs> um, but a woman um, functions completely differently. And God has made it, I believe it, that God has made men and women differently like that because it is only through unselfishly giving to the other person, loving them, meeting their emotional needs, that our own emotional needs will be met. And so a truly satisfying marriage is all about selfless giving. Anything to add to that, Dr. Derek? No, I think this is probably the one area where um, people misunderstand uh, and therefore they just don't connect. And uh, unless they sit down and understand that men and women are different from molecular level to all other levels uh, and certainly uh, cultivate, uh, uh, culminating in the, this, uh, the sex act that we all experience it in a totally different way, and it's about giving rather than about receiving. But the Bible tells us that the more we give, the more we receive. And so that's the, the secret, I think. There's a saying that says that men give love in order to receive sex, and women give sex in order to receive love. And that is a very simplistic way of stating it, but there is truth to that. And so that's why when there are um, premarital or extramarital sexual relationships going on, the woman really is the loser in that relationship, that um, she is not receiving her emotional needs being met. Yeah, because in that, in that case, the man almost always receives what he's looking for, and the women is the, are the ones that are on the, sh on the short end. So she might constantly be giving herself sexually. Yes. And the man's like, oh, I'm being fulfilled. And a woman's like, I'm not. 
So because like you said, Miss Alma, the woman wants to be cherished and loved throughout the day, like you said, with kind words and feeling noticed, feeling like she exists and feeling like she matters to that, that her husband. And I guess if she would just give sex to him and he is fine with that, then it's almost like selling yourself in some, some right. way. Well, really, both parties are selling themselves short of God's great um, ideal and his incredible gift that he has for them. Because I want to say, whether it's pornography with masturbation, whether it is extramarital or premarital sex, it is one-dimensional sexual experience, and it will never be as satisfying as a five-dimensional where it is physical, emotional, mental, uh, physical, um, spiritual, and social as well. It will never have the depth of intimacy and meet our true needs for intimacy. So is it true that men want sex more than women? And I'll add a question to that, that men are more easily sexually aroused than women? Well, um, you know, when you just look at the biology and the way men and women are wired differently, yes, in general, men to, tend to be more, uh, you know, the the parties that desires and want sex more. And I think it has to do with the hormones, obviously, to, to begin with. Uh, the In a man... In men uh, or in a man, the uh, uh, testosterone levels are much, much higher. And the testosterone uh, is the hormone that drives the libido, uh, the desire uh, to want to have sex. And uh, But this is not a hard and fast rule. Uh, this is not to say that all men are the same or that women do not have a desire and that they don't have a higher drive. There's a lot of uh, variation even within the, the same sexes. But uh, And also you have to look at it. There's different stages that a person go through uh, in your life. So when you just got married, yes, you know, the, the, there's a higher need and a higher drive for sex, particularly from the guy's point of view. And so they will want to have sex more. But then children comes along and things change. Responsibilities comes into play. Uh, there's uh, jobs uh, and those type of things that all come in. And so all those things change these things. And then during a time when the woman wants to have children, her sex drive will be much higher during that time as well because uh, she wants to be pregnant and she wants to have a baby. And so, so all those things vary with time. And then once the kids leave the nest and you're by yourself, then, you know, you, you have more more time. You don't have the responsibilities. There's no other kids and people around that that you have to uh, be, uh, you know, be taking into account. So all those things are things that that changes the 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 need and the want for sex. I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Yeah, Emma. I want to say that I think the phases in the marriage that sometimes it will be the wife's sex drive that will be higher. Sometimes the husband, um, but in general. From the people that I've talked to, clients in my counseling practice, as well as, um, you know, just people that I've talked to on a very um, personal level, it is, generally speaking, the, the men that <laughs> are the pursuers and are the initiators and that are more uh, want, wanting sex more frequently. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, it reminds me of a, a joke that uh, Gary Smalley uh, tells uh, uh, at one of the seminars that we attended, you know, where they looked at what is it in the, the relationship that turns men on and what is it that turns women on? And so they asked the women and the women said, you know, if the guy comes in and he, you know, 
you know, he unpacks the dishwasher and he and he helps <laughs> with the kids and he does the laundry and he helps in the housework and he and he does those kind of things. You know, uh, that's what turns a woman on, you know, kind words uh, and the things that he says to her. And that's great. And they turn to the guys and they ask the guys, what is it that turned them on? And they say, any movement in the house. <laughs> so you, know, you don't really have to do anything. Uh, men are truly like microwaves and uh, women like crockpots. They take a long time to warm up. And so you, you need to take a little bit more work at that. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, she has a, a very funny joke regarding that. Just, <laughs> if, a, if a man comes home from work and um, his wife was to meet him at the door and kind of like just, you know, drop her, her, her clothes off and say, hey, I'm ready for you. <laughs> the, the husband was like, yes, this is amazing. This is awesome. If a wife goes to come home from work and her husband was to just like stand at the door and just say, take his clothes off and say, I'm ready for you, <laughs> the woman would go like, you pervert, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> I mean, that illustrates. Oh <laughs> illustrates. Uh, that that is that is so funny. I've never really thought of it that way. I mean, like as that the woman is like it attracts the woman when the man does. Maybe maybe the woman just wants the man to speak her love language or something like that. So that's that's very different. She would like to be met at the door with some flowers and him put his arm around her and say, "Hey, honey, let's have go a for nice a walk. dinner ready. Let's go for a walk into the sunset. Let's yes. talk. Let's talk." <laughs> Yes, have a candlelit dinner ready. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, it's so different. And that, and that's, that's a, I think that was a good question to ask because I've met some people who are like, no, men and women are not wired differently. I'm like, really? I don't know about that because, I mean, Dr. Derek, maybe you can answer this question, but in my mind, from what I understand, is that women are struggling every single day with temptation. Is that correct? And that women are not because I don't really go around thinking, oh, I need to fight off all this temptation because all these men around me can see. Like, I just go through life being fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the, uh, the media and our society at large have tapped into this drive that God has placed in men. And I think Prager University just recently actually put a very, very excellent short little video out on PragerU uh, explaining this. You know, you uh, uh, the advertising industry and the and the uh, uh, the media uses sexuality and sensuality to draw attention uh, to their ads because they know that sex sells, and we know that. That's why you use a sexy woman with sexy <laughs> legs uh, shifting a gears. Uh, in the car while they're selling the vehicle because they know more people will look at that and the men will be attracted to that and therefore will be more likely to buy the vehicle. Uh, and th that is from soap to selling toothbrushes to toothpaste, uh, you, you name it, you know. Since when is toothpaste sexy, you know? <laughs> yeah. so But they will make it into that because they use that uh, drive that God has placed there. And so because of that, we are tempted all the time, all around us. Uh, it's on billboards, it's on television, it's an advertisement, it's in magazines. I mean, you can hardly walk out the uh, the checkout counter nowadays without experiencing something on magazine covers. I mean, everything is about, you know, how to have better sex, how to do it better, how to be a best lover, you know, how to have a better orgasm. I mean, you can you can name it and it's, it's everywhere. And so, yes, these things are temptations. Uh, but what we do with those temptations, you know, is between uh, 
where where the the Christian comes in is that you need to take those temptations out and don't think about it. Don't take a second look. Don't look at these articles. Don't play around with these thoughts in your mind because that's where the trouble comes. So, okay, going back to the concept of not temptations or things outside of marriage, but within marriage. Um, is it a thing that the couples, married couples, can have sex too often? Um, or maybe even too little? I can imagine too little, but is too often a thing? Well, um, the first thing that I would like to address in that area is the emotional needs of a man and a woman, which I think um, there's a lot of people who do not understand that, that the emotional needs of a man and the emotional needs of a woman are completely different. So what, um, what are they? What are the emotional needs of a man and a woman? The emotional needs of a woman, top five emotional needs are for affection, physical touch and affection, non-sexual touching, physical touch and affection. But I want to say as a married woman um, with your husband, you say it's non-sexual, but actually it is sexual because he can, when he is loving and tender and touching you in a non-sexual way, it really is something that is preparing you to make love to your husband that night, okay? Um, so it's physical touch and affection, meaningful conversation, honesty, um, feeling that you can trust this person, financial support, and uh family commitment and then men's top five needs emotional needs the first one is for sex and many women think oh my husband's sex drive is so high blah 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 actually when a man wants to make love to his wife he wants to feel bonded with her and for a man to be in a marriage where there's very little sexual intimacy is like a woman being married in in a marriage where her husband is not talking to her and a lot of me, a lot of women do not understand that point, and therefore they they judge the guy as just wanting to get a physical sexual release, and so because it's driven by his testosterone levels, and so it's a that just it's just met on as a biological drive, but it's much more than that. It's actually an emotional need because a man feels bonded to his wife through sexual uh, activity. It's more not so, just a drive. More so than women. No, I think women uh, experience the same way. Okay. I think women experience the same way, but uh, particularly because in men, the sex drive is the number one gotcha. emotional need. People judges it as, you know, this guy just has this high sex drive. He just wants to have this, this biological release, but it's not just that. Uh, and I think most women do not understand that. I believe that the woman feels bonded with her husband through intimate conversation, through meaningful conversation, through them... Mm -hmm touching each other a lot, feeling that connection, feeling protected by him. That's how she feels bonded primarily, also through sexual intimacy, but primarily through the love and the tenderness and the, the words and the intimacy, the um, you know meaningful conversation. Whereas the man, um, he feels bonded primarily with his wife through sexual intimacy. And then um, other... Uh, top emotional needs for a man is also for recreational companionship, for having an attractive spouse, for domestic support, and for admiration and respect. Domestic support meaning cleaning the house, cooking, those kind of things? Right, just supporting yes. him at okay. home, you know? Yeah. 
And then um, if people are in a relationship slash engaged, I imagine that a man, uh, be because he can't really have sex with his girlfriend, fiance, that then touch, physical touch, appropriate physical touch is very important, I'm guessing. Right, but um, you're talking now about engagement and that's fine, but if a person is not married, a person needs to be very careful with physical touch. Just because, you know, holding hands and just putting your arm around someone's shoulder, that's great, but a person must be very careful. Yeah. Like it says in Song of Solomon, do not awaken love until the time is right. So we need to be very careful because our sexual desires and our passions can be very strong. And if we put ourselves in a situation with someone that we're very in love with and that we have committed to already, maybe by promising an engagement already, if we put ourselves in a situation where we are private and alone, things can happen that we really do not want to go there. Um, it is best to date by having picnics, being outside, being in public spaces, even though you can be alone in a public space. But be very careful not to put ourselves in situations where things can happen that we do not want to overstep that boundary before marriage. That we, um, Dr. James Dobson talks about the 12 steps yes. towards sexual intimacy. And that starts um, when a couple meet each other, it's first eye to body then eye to eye, then hand to hand, then hand to shoulder, then hand to waist. You can see how it becomes mm -hmm. more pro progressive. And I believe then it's um, face, face to, to face, face. Which, which includes kiss kissing, kissing. Yeah. then hand to body. And from then on, that's up to where it should be before marriage, nothing further before marriage and then after marriage it's um you know touching each other in private places and you know the breasts and the private parts and yeah. oral sex as well as sexual intimacy so i'm hearing obviously that you need to set a lot of boundaries um so speaking of boundaries within marriage i don't think i don't think that some people know this or understand this but within marriage, in all kinds of circumstances, there are still boundaries, right? The opportunity to say no to things. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, I mean, boundaries uh, is, a, is a huge topic. And uh, uh, it's something that very few people actually pay uh, a lot of attention to, unfortunately. And uh, people just go with the flow and what everybody is doing, what the crowd is doing. And so they don't realize how dangerous these things are uh, when uh, you don't have high boundaries, particularly when somebody else outside of the marriage begins to meet uh, emotional needs that's supposed to be met by your spouse. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have good boundaries, you open yourself up to that, uh, where you allow strangers to meet your emotional needs that was supposed to be met by your spouse. And that can lead to all kinds of problems. But there are health boundaries. You know, when we, we're talking here now specifically about sex uh, and within the, within the marriage. So certainly there are health boundaries, you know, that we need to keep in place. You know, Sorry, uh, can I just pause on yes, the thought that absolutely. you just expressed there? Because I think that that's very profound and it needs to be enlarged on. So talking about the emotional needs of a man and emotional needs of a woman, if we allow someone else, if I allow another man time alone with intimate conversation, I am 
opening the door where the devil can bring feelings and thoughts and, you know, possible attraction between me and that other person. If I allow another man to meet my need for intimate conversation, for for meaningful conversation yes, yes. and personal compliments and things like that, let alone physical touch and affection, touching another person of the opposite sex, you know, that is overstepping a boundary. That yes. is something that only their a spouse should be meeting their emotional need for physical touch and affection. I've seen it in the church where people are touching another person's husband, another person's wife, another person's boyfriend or girlfriend. It's overstepping a boundary. It's yes. giving the devil a foothold because there is something magic about Touching a person of the opposite sex that you're not married to for the very first time. There is some feelings and thrills that go along with it. And it is wrong. It is inappropriate. Yeah, and uh, and, I'm glad that you brought that up because all of that stuff leads to, for a woman in particular, Mm -hmm. to... uh, to sexual intercourse because that's what her husband is supposed to do within right. the marriage to meet her emotional needs. And so so those things, and this is something, you know, that is not practiced. There's inappropriate hugging that mm-hmm. goes on where people don't do a, a one-armed hug or a, a side proper hug. side hug mm-hmm. or a or they, an A-frame hug where people, you know, really hug each other very closely and and people of the opposite sex are holding each other t- tightly, which I think is, is completely inappropriate. Mm. Uh, and so those are some of the things, certainly boundaries that you need to put in place, uh, but then also uh, uh, other boundaries uh, certainly that that comes from this one is the exclusivity that goes with this uh-huh. is that these kind of needs should only be met by somebody that you are married to right not by a stranger and other people and so therefore or a family member or even Sometimes a family it's member a yeah. brother-in-law or sister-in-law yeah, even a family member yeah and so uh, so those are things that we need to keep in place uh, and so that also brings to no pornography so there are many counselors that are prescribing mm-hmm. pornography to spice up a relationship that's and stuff. It's it's totally you might, insane. You might as wrong. well just have a threesome then because that's the same thing. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is like bringing another person into your relationship that is going to fulfill or meet some of those those needs and people are fantasizing about other people while making love to their to their spouse and uh, those Jesus things said, are not good. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman even in your mind, mm-hmm. you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So it's very important for our marriage to be exclusive, that it's a sacred place where only the two of you are, Yeah. that no third person, no pictures of other people, nobody else enters that yeah. sacred space. Yeah. And that, I believe, is also protecting your spouse's reputation, not running around and, and telling nasty things about your spouse. Um you know, if you need counsel and you're in a problem-solving conversation with someone that you have especially asked to help you um, with a problem in the relationship or a problem in the marriage, that's entirely different. But talking badly about our spouse just to our friends, our mothers and fathers, our family, whatever, that also is an inappropriate boundary. Absolutely. And I just want to talk about as well that a man's sexual need You know, sometimes um, I want to say even whether it's at work or people of the opposite sex sometimes will make jokes 
bordering on little sexual innuendos and mm-hmm. sexual yeah. jokes. That is wrong with somebody of the opposite sex. I'm, I mean, I would say it's wrong, period. But it is wrong w- uh, making jokes like that with someone of the opposite sex. And, Absolutely. And a man needs to also be very careful that he doesn't allow any other person to meet his um, needs for visual and um, his, his uh, sexual needs. But also uh, admiration. You see, yeah, when you're the right. where you're the mm. kingpin at work, and you're the mm-hmm. you're the funny guy, and you're the one that tells the jokes, and everybody likes you, and everybody admires you, other women. Uh, that is one of the f- top five needs of a man right. is, is admiration, and so those are things that should not be met by strangers, but should right. be met by your wife. Yeah, like like for me, um, I try purposefully to show a lot of admiration to my boyfriend. But I, as you're saying, is I don't do that with other men. I'm no. not going to go out and be like, Absolutely. like, like we both like rock climbing. Mm. And so, and I say like, wow, you did so good in that route. Or like early today, we did a, a, a belay class, a mm-hmm. top rope belay class. And, uh, and he was climbing and I genuinely was admiring him. I was like, wow, he's really strong on, on the, uh, the boulders, you know, bouldering. And I said to him like, well, you're a really good climber. And he just lit up. Um, and so I, like, and I, it was genuine, I meant it, but I would never say that to somebody mm. else. I'm not going to say like, wow, you're amazing. Like that, 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 like you said, that does something to a man and it's inappropriate if it's somebody else's partner. Right. So yeah. personal compliments, making personal compliments to yeah. someone of the opposite sex mm. is meeting an emotional need. And that is inappropriate if you're not in relationship or married to that person. Yeah. And what I want to say, what that includes for men as well is a need for respect. That respect is extremely important for men. If they have to choose between being loved or being respected, they would choose respect, even though they need both, right? And so for me as a wife, it has always been a a very high priority that my husband's opinion at home is respected, that his position as the father, as the husband in the family, and that he feels respected, even if he makes a mistake from time to time. Everybody makes mistakes. That doesn't mean that we don't respect him. Um, I want to say that we should respect the position of the president of our country, regardless of who the president is, whether we like the president or not. In the same way, we respect the husband and the father in the family, regardless of if he makes mistakes sometimes. We respect his position. However, trust is earned. And that is the work of myself as a wife and my husband to earn the trust of his family so going back to boundaries um we've talked a lot about keeping other people out but i'd imagine that there's also boundaries between the spouse and or between the two spouses the husband and the wife um especially saying no to sex um What's the balance in that? What what are boundaries between two spouses when it comes to sex? And also, can a person say no? And when do you say yes because the other person really wants it? Well, yes, absolutely, that a person um, can say no at times. Sometimes you are truly exhausted. Sometimes you are truly not feeling well. And yes, that a husband or a wife whose spouse... Um, says, I'm really sorry, but I just cannot um, make love tonight, but um, how about tomorrow night? Can we plan this date for tomorrow night? Um, However, I think we need to remember that it is 
very painful. It hurts to be turned down when you make an overture to your spouse. And, you know, I want to say at least four out of five times, give your husband a yes instead of four out of five times a no and one time a yes. You know, let's do our utmost to be as positive and as um, willing as possible. However, the husband at all times needs to respect his wife. And if she says, I am truly exhausted, you know, I'm really not feeling well, then absolutely he needs to respect her as his wife. I I just want to address also the thing of um, how frequently should a person make love? And uh, the Bible is silent on that. I do think that it's a personal thing between the couple and mutual consent is very, very important that no party in the marriage should feel forced, should be feel pushed, should feel pressured to do things that they feel uncomfortable with or against their conscience. And, um, but, you know, I do think that a wife should remember that when her husband makes an overture to her to want to make love, that she needs to reframe, not just think, what's wrong with this man? He wants to have sex again. No, reframe it and say, my husband wants to be bonded with me. Mm, he wants yeah. to feel close to me. And this is his way of bonding with me. I want to be bonded with my husband. Uh, yeah, this, this is a, a topic that uh, gets a lot of attention, especially amongst more conservative uh, Christians. Somehow, uh, uh, People believe that that this is an area that we need to have, uh, you know, incredible self-control even within marriage. I think God makes it very clear in the Scripture that self-control is about predominantly, uh, you know, having desires for other people outside of the marriage, premarital sex, lusting after other women uh, that's not your wife, prostitutes, and those kind of things. Putting everything yeah. else. Yeah. Aside, aside, forsaking all others. Yes, as it says that's, in what, the that's what vow. it says in the marriage vows. Forsake yeah. all others. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else enters. And so, so that that is true. But God also says in the in the book Song of Solomon that uh, God has given sex for pleasure. We need to delight in each other. And He also says there, uh, you know, be intoxicated with your wife's love. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Now, now, just from a, a logical point of view, uh, if you ask the question, what is intoxication mean? Intoxication mean that I've had too much of something, right? You don't become intoxicated by having one drink a day, all right? You become intoxicated if you take too much, all right? So when the Bible and God tells me, be intoxicated with my wife's love and let her breast satisfy at all time, to me, that is telling, you know, God doesn't tell me, hey, I want to let you know you can only do this once a week or once a month or twice right. a month. Yeah. He's saying, enjoy by mutual consent as much as you guys want, because I am the giver of this gift and I have given it to you. Enjoy. And I think that's what God is telling us here. And if if people decide within the marriage, yes, there again, there are times when you have children and when you have jobs and things where you both work and you're tired and you, you don't get to all these things. You may desire it, but you know, it just doesn't happen. That's that's fine. And respect each other's uh, um, situations and respect the other person saying no, you know, but let's strive to create 
times where we make special time for that, just like we make special time for exercise, we make special time for a good meal, we make special time for whatever we do in life That if, if we value those things. So let's make special time to make love. And I think that that is an important point because people who have affairs, they, yes. Yes. <laughs> they schedule a time and a place where to meet. And um, I um, heard a research study. It was um, on a CD that I was listening to where, you know, they took real affairs that people had had and – they gave it to couples whose marriages were so dead that those people were calling each other names. And they, um, there was a, like two couples that just turned out of the study because they said the other person isn't worth it. But they took these couples and all they had them do every week, they gave them an affair that real people had had. And they made them go have an affair with each other. What? This is part of the study? Yes, yes. yes. Married couples yeah. oh, okay. who have an affair between the husband and the wife with each other. You okay, understand? so like technically they're not having a. F- no, no. They, they made them do the things that the people who had affairs did. Gotcha. Yes, yes. they yes. took the event, the things the person did, like, you know, go to such and such restaurant and then go for a walk on the beach afterwards. They took those type of things and gave it to married couples. They gave them one a week that they had to do. People whose marriages were so dead yeah. that they were almost at the point of divorce. Wow. And it turned those those married marriages couples' around. marriages around by, tech, I want to say in, in quotation marks, having an affair with each other. Which really is just spending time together. Yeah. Absolutely. Having, having a, a conversation. Date. Yeah. That's what it was, having yeah. a date. So we've always been a very firm believer of having a date every week, making special romantic time to be with each other. And we believe actually like every three months, take a weekend, time out that is just for the two of you. Take one week a year if possible. If you're able to you know, do the same for another couple's children – Take their children for a week, and then you, they take your children for a week. But it is very important to make that romantic time together and um, also to schedule making love. You know, um, couples that have affairs, I mean, not couples that have affairs, um, people who have extramarital affairs, they will schedule a time and a place to meet the person that they are and they will spend money on that. So why don't we do that in our marriage? Yeah. Spend money on having a date. Spend money on having a nice vacation together every week, every year. You know, those are the things that we're talking about here. Yes, those are things we're talking about. Making time for each other, and also even scheduling time in your schedule. Make a date to make love. May have that time set aside. Yeah, it seems like if, if people would just do this, then a lot of marriages would be saved. Because I've never really thought of it that way. Like, yeah, someone who's cheating on their spouse mm-hmm. s- sets the time apart to spend time with that person. And on top of that, they dress up. They make sure they look nice, that they smell mm-hmm. nice, that they are dressed nicely. Um, so if we would just do that for uh, a partner, a spouse, then the chance of of cheating is is much more slim. Well, Willard Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, he calls it to affair-proof your marriage by having affair with your spouse, you know? So uh, so do it do it to your spouse before somebody else does it. 
Right. You know, and take your spouse away and your marriage ends in a divorce. You know, put the time, put the effort, put the energy, the put money, the money. Get a nice hotel yes, room. Do what you need to do. Yes. So speaking of affairs, cheating, all of those things, we've talked, we touched on it a little bit before, but pornography. Jesus said in the Bible that if you look at another woman, lust after another woman, it's like you've already committed adultery, um, which is exactly what pornography is. So how does ha- uh, uh, someone watching pornography, could be the man or the woman, affect a marriage? Well, I think pornography is probably one of the, the major problems uh, in our world today. Um, when you go onto the internet and you look at how many uh, hits every day takes place, there's literally millions and millions of hits every day. I believe, I believe a third of all hits every day on all the websites in the world is on pornography websites. That's insane. Uh, and it's it's totally totally insane. I mean, we're talking here about you know a hundred billion dollar industry if it's not more than that uh, now. And so we know that these things are a major problem, but. Let's go back because I mentioned earlier on when it comes to uh, dopamine hits, sex is the highest dopamine hit that uh, a human can experience uh, uh, on a repeatable basis. And so because of that, the, the, whenever you have high dopamine hits, uh, it's a super stimulus for the brain, which has a high uh, potential for addiction. And so and that is what pornography is. Pornography is a supernatural overstimulation uh, and now we have this on the internet where people have it available 24-7 you can watch this on movies you can watch it on TV you can watch it on your own cell phone on your computer on your iPad wherever you are it's always available it's like music you see you, uh, whenever you feel down whenever you f- have need comfort whenever you are stressed whenever you are depressed wherever you are anxious wherever you are you have access to this and i just want to add to that also um, a lot of well well romantic novels and romantic mm-hmm. movies i'm talking specifically about the famous nicholas sparks movies mm-hmm. um, message in a bottle is one of them um, what is that really popular one? Um, I think it's like the lucky one. Um, anyway, so there, there's a lot of the, those kind of movies where you feel connected to the actor mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because exactly. they're Absolutely. having a connection and you yourself want that connection. Yeah. And that that's like almost like a sort of soft pornography for women, in yep. my opinion. Yep. Yes, um, women bond more with a relationship aspect. And so for a woman to watch a very romantic movie and then it has some sex scenes in it as well, I mean, that's all blasphemous in her mind. And I believe that we as women are, are guilty. I mean, yeah. you know, that's why I say we've all fallen short of the glory of God yeah. because I don't think there's a single person on this earth who can say I've never thought a lustful yeah. thought. Yeah. But movies with sex scenes in them, especially when we identify with the, the actor, you know, one of the actors and then... It goes into this romantic relationship and the sex scene. No. We are guilty. Well, the other thing is, is that God calls it adultery. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, no matter who you are, when you talk to people that are engaged in these things, you never find somebody being proud that this is what they're doing. It always brings a sense of shame and guilt. You're talking now about pornography, pornography with masturbation. Yeah. We're talking about that. Well, you know, these things are very closely related to masturbation because there is no pornography watching without a masturbation. 
okay? It always goes together. Okay. And so, uh, because it's a super stimulus and over stimulus, you can't watch those things and not desire and do masturbation. And so these things are usually goes go together. And so the, the other thing is, is because it is such a powerful stimulus, there's always the, whenever you take something that is a powerful stimulus, you develop a tolerance. And so if you take a drug, the first drug you take uh, gives you this high, and then the more you use it, the less effective it becomes because you over and super stimulate the brain. And so you downregulate receptors in your brain that brings about a less of an effect each time you use it. So in order to f have the same experience, you need to increase the dose. Mm. And so what it, what it does for drugs is people begin to use more drugs and stronger drugs and things like that. But what happens when you do it with sex? With sex is, is you begin to move into perversions because now the regular sex is no longer stimulating enough. And so now you need to do something else that's going to give you the same kind of high and the same kind of dopamine uh, uh, deposit in your brain. And so this takes you down a path uh -huh. that leads to destruction. Now, instead of one woman, now you're watching two, two women, women. And then it's group it's sex. And then it's uh, then it goes into animals and it goes to sadomasochism, rough sex, rough sex, sex and violence and, violence and BDSM. Sex. Yeah, and so yeah. all kinds of things like that begins to play a role. And so uh, then it becomes destructive. Because what it does then is, is that it literally begins to rewire your brain. You can actually get neuroplasticity that takes place. Your brain begins to be rewired and you become mentally sick. That's really scary. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. And I've heard that also people who start, not everyone, but people who watch pornography, often, I don't know if it's always often, but let's say people who watch pornography, it can lead eventually, if they go down that road that you just mentioned, um, to pedophilia. Is that correct? Are there yeah, studies not, done on not that? Not everybody goes down the road. You know, not everybody who does these things are going to become a Ted Bundy who, who kills 50 people and women, uh, you know, not everybody goes down that road. But you don't know who you are and where your weaknesses and and strengths lie when it comes to that. And so some people go become murderers and serial killers. Some people become women abusers. Some people end up in pedophilia. Some people get into other perversions that leads them down a different place. I just watched an excellent documentary called mm -hmm. Raised on Porn. And um, the, it was a testimony of two men who were willing to be open and to share um, their experience. And the one man, he did go from, um, you know, watching porn to, you know, bondage and sadomasochism, that kind of stuff. And then he went over into pedophilia and yeah. he got arrested and he had to spend five years in jail. But the thing that was really, uh, and the other man, his, what happened to him is that he so badly started wanting to act out some of the things he was watching in porn that he went and cheated on his wife and almost lost his family, yeah. his wife and children. Um, Through divorce, you mean? Yes, yeah. Yeah. almost. But by okay. God's grace, they were able to, to make it, it and pull it through. But yeah. the thing that really struck me most um, was that both these men said that... Um, <clears throat> it was a progressive thing. It was, and yeah, firstly, the thing they said, it, 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 like they were constantly seeking something new stimulus because it would get boring because it's one dimensional sex, you see. Yes. Um, in a married relationship, you have five dimensional sex. 
um, when you have one-dimensional sex, it's going to get boring very quickly. Okay, well, the, the one thing that I just would like to, to add uh, uh, to that is, is the fact that um, the availability of these things uh, is, a, is a major problem. Because when, you know, it's, it's worse for somebody to be addicted to pornography than it is for somebody who lives a promiscuous life. Because in real life, you can only have sex with so many women. You know, and and at least it's with real people. And so, yes, that is bad. And that's going to mess you up as well. But the potential of being totally messed up mentally wise and emotionally wise through pornography is so much more because this is stuff that you can do all the time, 24-7. There's people that spend hours and hours a day on various pornography sites where they expose themselves to all these perversions and all these things super stimuli all the time that it literally destroys people's brains. Yes, and the other uh, point that I got out of this documentary um, raised on porn was that both the men who gave their testimonies who were raised watching pornography since they were very young, I think like 8, 10 years old, 12, um, they said they did not know how to relate to a woman. Yes. So they, they were, were kind of socially awkward people? They, yeah. they, were, they did not know. They said how to approach a woman, how to have meaningful conversation with her, how to really have a relationship with her. You know, the one guy gives his testimony just saying the whole time he's just thinking, okay, when am I going to do this sexual thing with her? When am I going to do that sexual thing with her? Like, you know, it's not in his mind at all to be giving her meaningful conversation, non-sexual, you know, physical touch and affection, meeting her emotional needs. Like, it's just nowhere in his mind. Yeah, well, and... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's, uh, this is just kind of ties in with, you know, the, the issue of masturbation, which kind of goes together really with this because you cannot really separate the two uh, where people, uh, uh, you know, do what they call solo sex, uh, where everything is by themselves. You know, you're not really involving another person. You're not giving to another person. It's all just about what can I get out of it? And you're doing it by yourself. Uh, instead of being a giving thing, it now becomes, you know, uh, you know, just how to self-gratify and, uh, you know, do things by yourself. And so 99% of all pornography involves masturbation. So is that the issue of masturbation? It, and we, we were talking about masturbation, like you said, solo sex, not mm -hmm. if you are having sex with your partner married married, and you do it to your partner. But is that the issue of masturbation that you are selfish in that sense and are not ministering to your spouse? Well, you're not ministering to your spouse because you only do things for selfish reasons and you only do what is self-gratifying to you. This is not a mutual thing that happens between uh, between uh, a two consenting uh, married people in a marriage relationship. And so, uh, and again, with masturbation, it, be, it has a high potential for being addictive, okay? Because you, people do, will do it once a week and then they do it every day. And I've interviewed and, and talked with people and have had patients who've, who have been addicted to pornography and masturbations where they will masturbate, you know, three, five times per day. Wow. Okay, because they, they just cannot get enough because, again, it's the same principle of, you know, this down regulation of receptors in their brain where they have to have a more and a more and a more of a stimulus to get the same. And they just never feel satisfied. 
because it's not it's not real. It's not a real woman. Well, because when a man makes love to his wife, yes, there are powerful hormones mm-hmm. that are released, like oxytocin. Um, there's a bonding hormone. That's the same hormone that is released when a woman gives birth to a baby, to bond her to a baby. That is a hormone that is released in a man's brain when he has an orgasm with his wife. It's a much more powerful experience. When he is uh, masturbating himself with pornography, those hormones are not released. It is not nearly as satisfying, and therefore he has this compulsion to keep trying to repeat it with something maybe a little more stimulating in the pornography. But really what he needs is the five-dimensional sex, not one-dimensional sex. The five-dimensional is to be physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, and spiritually bonded with another human being on an exclusive level where you unequivocally give yourselves heart and soul and your emotions, your spiritual, spiritually you are bonded. And then you give each, each other physically to each other unconditionally forever. Nothing can come close to a sexual experience like that. No. So someone who might be listening right now might be convicted that they need to stop or have been convicted for some time, but feel stuck. They might be like, look, this is really hard to stop. And it could be a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for how someone like that can overcome their addiction? Yes. I mean, this is a true addiction. And I think people need to realize that this is powerful. And to come off these things and to gain the victory over this is many times more difficult than quitting smoking or quitting alcohol or drugs. And so the first step of realizing that I'm stuck, I have a problem and I need help is 50% of the war already won right there. And so what we would recommend is people, uh, you know, go and see a counselor, go and see your pastor, go and see a Christian counselor, you know, and, you know, seek help and uh, let somebody walk you through the steps to, to gain the victory over this. Just like you would do with any other addiction, there has to be a period of withdrawal uh, from that. Just like you go to detox, coming off drugs and coming off, uh, uh, you know, cigarettes, you've got a detox off that. And the detox is a is a very physical uh, medical condition where people have physical symptoms. And yes, it's tough. And sometimes people need some medical help to be able to come off those kind of things. And uh, the same thing needs to happen with uh, pornography and masturbation addictions. Uh, People need to withdraw from that. They have to detox. And there are programs and things, you know, that you can do. There's a 90-day PMO where people will no pornography, no masturbation, and no orgasm for 90 days where somebody will totally withdraw. And this can reset all those bad chemicals and receptors and things in your brain so that it can bring you to a place where you can actually get back to enjoying the things the way God has made it initially. To be. And I just want to say here that if you are able to, the Nedley Depression and Anxiety Recovery Residential Program helps people that suffer from pornography yes. addictions. Yes. And they'll, they will do hydrotherapy morning and evening. They'll put you on a high nutritious diet. They make sure that you get a lot of exercise every day. They give you a lot of education. Um, you will have morning and evening devotions. You'll have a counselor that can walk you through that addiction. You'll have a spiritual counselor and um, 
um, a really a program director that will take you by the hand and walk you through this program. Comprehensive program. A very comprehensive program. Plus, you'll be under uh, the uh, medical supervision of Dr. Neil Nedley. And we would highly recommend that program. But even so... Um, if you're unable to go to that program, you might be able to find the Nedley Community-Based Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program, which is um, once a week an, a small group, and it is also a physician lecture, which is frequently on video, um, and then also to look on the Focus on the Family website for a good Christian counselor um, that can support you, that can walk you through um, and also give you other resources. And I also want to rec recommend the um, uh, Sex Addicts Anonymous, um, the 12-step program, the Sex Addicts Anonymous. Um, I have attended some of the Narcotics Anonymous and the um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. For your training, we should say. <laughs> meetings, yes, as part of my training as a counselor and it's high-quality people that help you um, even in a moment of temptation, if you're going to go online and log into a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting. So boy meets girl, they enter in a relationship. Uh, like you said, I think it was Dr. Derek who said this, that uh, men are like microwaves, women are like ovens. For women, it might be a couple of months until, until that sexual attraction starts appearing. For men, it might be sooner. How do you deal with that? Um, men might have it more consistently. I know women, um, I think from my understanding is that when women go through their ovulation, that's when the sex drive is higher. How do people who are not married deal with a sex drive and, and honor God and not doing things that are inappropriate before marriage? Um. I think when you enter into a relationship like that, like I think Elmo mentioned a little bit earlier on the 12 steps uh, that Dr. James Dobson uh, mentions that, you know, we you need to, uh, particularly with your physical relationship, you need to set specific boundaries and the pace at which you want this relationship to go. Uh, if you're just going to let it go, uh, the research shows, uh, I can't remember the exact... 150 hours. Oh, it's 150 hours for committed Christian couples on the average in the evangelical world before they end up in bed together. So that's not a long time. And so these are Christian people. So now, can you imagine people that are not Christians, if they don't put any boundaries on these kind of things, they, that's why people will end up in bed uh, and having sex very, very quickly. So you have to deliberately set boundaries as to how fast you're going to pace your relationship physically and put those rules and boundaries in place as you grow spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Because the more time you spend with that person, obviously, the, the more you're going to grow physically closer and you're going to have more desires and you want to move further in your physical relationship. And so unless you pace that in the correct way, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Uh, and so uh, that's what I would recommend. So in the Song of Solomon, um, there's a conference called the Song of Solomon Conference, which is a literal, um, uh, it was um, done by 
uh, Pastor Tommy Nelson, who wrote a literal commentary on the book, The Song of Solomon. And in that book, it's a beautiful picture of God's ideal, how Solomon met this beautiful um, girl that was a shepherdess and their romantic love life to when they got married and their honeymoon and and then conflict as well. And their um, walk through dating and courtship and um Marriage. Yeah, marriage yeah. And, and conflict as well. But something that comes out in the book, The Song of Solomon, is that they dated in the light. The courtship was in midday. It was in the light. They um, did not go and meet each other in places where they are alone together, where they are uh, private, where they're in the dark, where things can happen that are not in accordance with God's boundaries that he's put around the marriage relationship. Because the truth is, until the day you marry someone, you have no guarantee that you guys are actually going to get married. And the heartbreak, if you have given yourself emotionally and mentally and socially to someone and then have given yourself physically to someone and then the relationship breaks up, it is indescribable pain. And the best thing to do is to um, obey God's boundaries, keep the um, sexual desires within the boundaries that he has given, and that is wait for the honeymoon night. I would add to that even appropriate physical touch, like you mentioned earlier, a couple steps to go slow with those with a progression. Um, Because, for example, kissing is a very intimate thing. And Mm -hmm. once you do that, you feel much more bonded to that person. Your relationship has just deepened significantly. And so if you start doing that within like the first couple of weeks of dating, you're really rushing ahead. And once you start kissing, you know, like the, the, the that's the last step. The next thing is anything that's within the marriage. And so if you do it early in your relationship, you might find yourself in trouble. Well, and the research has shown that the average couple kisses before they have said, I love you, which to me is a tragedy, is a kiss, not an expression of love. Why would we be kissing someone that we do not yet feel that we love them or feel comfortable saying, I love you? You know, like we need to pace our relationship. Like we talked about those steps. Um, let's pace it, that relationship, keep the relationship in the light, have picnics, have walks outdoors, meet at a restaurant, meet in a, in a public place um, and try to avoid places where the two of you are in a private space completely alone. Like even if you drive somewhere in the car, make sure you don't sit alone in a parked car. So, um, Looking at, for example, let's say um, someone's in a relationship and they just notice in themselves, okay, today I have a very high sex drive. They tell their partner, look, we need to take some space. Like, let's go each go our own way right now because I'm having these emotions, these feelings, these attractions, and I want to be safe. But that person then goes home and might still have that high sex drive. How can they release that high sex drive appropriately? Not through masturbation or pornography, but is there any activities they can do? Can they find some distraction for themselves in a healthy way? Well, you know, go home, take a cold shower. You know, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, go for exercise. You know, be outside in the open. Go do some heavy weight training. Do some heavy weight training. Do something where you can blow off some of those energy and steam and stuff in something physical and in something healthy. Uh, 
and uh, get some fresh air, get some circulation going. All those kind of things will, will help with that. Uh, but you do need to remove yourself from that situation, obviously. And like you say, you know, do take a breather, do take time away uh, if, if that's what you experience. And, uh, but as you, as you also know, it's not, just, it's not just urges that comes over you. Yes, there are days when, when uh, hormones and things are different and higher and stuff. But it's also the more time you spend with that person, the more and the closer you are going to come to that person. And that's natural. God made it like that. You wouldn't want to be in a relationship with somebody that has no desire for you, right? You know, so so where there's no attraction, there's no attraction. You. <laughs> you know, you want to have that desire. You, a woman wants to feel pursued. I know you don't want to beg the guy to come after you. You know, uh, you 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 want to feel pursued, and so that's normal. God made it like that, but we just need to have control over how fast and where this leads to, uh, and pace the relationship. And we should also add that that God created us humans with a sex drive. It's not sinful to uh, desire that at some point. It's not sinful for the man. It's not sinful for the woman to feel that way, to think that way. Or I would say even if you're in a dating relationship and you notice that you're starting to have a sexual attraction for that person, I think that's a normal progression. Oh, sure. It, it, normal. Yeah, it's just sure how it's we normal. deal with it at the moment. Um, so I don't think, yeah, we should definitely not say like, oh, this is wrong. But like you guys said, we should keep it for marriage because that's how God designed it to be the most beautiful um, experience possible. There's one verse that is repeated, I believe it's four times in the book Song of Solomon. Yes. And it says, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, do not awaken love until the time is right. And I believe that is a caution that God is giving us. That, yes, it can be hard to wait, but you will be rewarded a hundred times over. If you wait. Yes, when you have your honeymoon night and you know you guys have waited. And even if you haven't waited, there is secondary virginity. We can bring ourselves to Jesus today and ask him for his forgiveness, ask him for his grace, and he will make us virgins again because God is in the business of forgiving and restoring us. And to wait from, make a new commitment from today. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do anything that's not in accordance with God's will until my honeymoon night. And I want to say here that in today's day and age, there's so much inappropriate things of married people between someone else that may be married or extramarital affairs. And that is devastating. It is destruction to your marriage or pornography in the marriage. That is adultery. It is biblical grounds for divorce. And to make a new commitment from today, I will be faithful to my spouse. And by God's grace, when any thoughts come into my mind, I will put them out and I will focus on my husband, on my wife. And I want to be faithful to God and I want to be faithful to my husband or my wife. You mentioned Song of Solomon earlier. There's some verses in Song of Solomon that seem to be talking about oral sex. Uh, here's Song of Solomon 2 verse 3 that says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And then there's also chapter 4 verse uh, 16 
which says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. There seems to be quite a discussion among Christians as to whether um, oral sex is wrong. Now, from what I understand, uh, anal sex is very clear in the Bible. It seems to say no. Song of Solomon is very poetic, and some people actually use these versions and say, look, it's wrong. And some other people use these versions and say, Low, it's see, he was doing that, so it's fine. What, what is your guys' understanding of that? Um, I mean, when it comes to this topic, when it comes to the topic of sex uh, in general, there's a wide array of, uh, uh, of opinions and interpretations of the whole thing when it comes to just even sex in general. From ultra-conservatism where we've had the Quakers who believe that, you know, if you want to be part of the of the elect of the 144,000, these are people who have not defiled themselves with women and it's taken literally and these people didn't want to have sex and they, they you know, they saw it as a necessary evil in this world. Therefore, God has said in the new heavens and in the new earth, there's not going to be any sex. So we're waiting to be transcended to a higher level. So and, this is the one extreme. And I just yeah. want to add here that one of my favorite favorite authors, Ellen White says that that is wrong. It is a wrong view yes. to say very little or no sex in marriage. Yeah, so so you, you have a, a wide array of, of opinions when it comes to this. Uh, and I believe too that it's, that it's wrong. Uh, I think that sex is experienced with all our senses. Uh, when you read through the book of uh, Song of Solomon, there's touch, there's taste, there's smell, there's there's feeling, and there's uh, you know or touch. There's there's all the senses and visual. He looks at her and he desires her. So you know we touch people. We we French kiss. Okay, why in the world do you want to French kiss somebody? Because you experience taste, all right. And then there's people that are say the body has erotic zones where when you're touched in those areas it feels different than in, in other areas and so let's look at uh, just from a logical point of view why would men want to kiss the wife's breasts breasts is for babies to drink to drink milk and to, to to feed them you know that's the purpose but is that the only purpose or did god have a, a different purpose for it as well a purpose of a woman's femininity and pleasure during the sex act um, quick question. Is that an area that is actually more sensitive for a woman to be touched? Is that so that God designed it for that oh, reason absolutely. as well? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you look at the clitoral complex, the nerves, nervous system of the clitoral complex in the, in the woman's vagina, uh, you know, there's no uh, reason in procreation why that exists. It's only for pleasure. And so, uh, so there's there's a wide array. So I believe when it comes to the the, the area, and I think we we, we agree on that, Alma, uh, is that uh, is that uh, uh, when there's mutual consent between people, you don't want to force something on somebody else that somebody feels uncomfortable with, right? But if it if it's not a health risk. And if it's something between the two of you that you feel that that is what you want to do in your marriage, God tells us that He's given us sex to enjoy and to be intoxicated. And in the book of Song of Solomon, it says, drink deeply of the fountain of love that God has given us. He doesn't just tell us, I just want you to touch here and just taste here and just have a little bit of it here. He tells us, indulge yourself. 
in this. And so when you read in the book, it says she puts perfume on herself to make her smell good. The, the guy puts oil on his body to make him smell good. And she puts perfume in her bedding and in her sheets spices. and spices and things, all of these things. And sex is not done in the dark place where your eyes covered. You, He's beholding her and he's looking at what he sees and he says what he sees is pleasurable and he desires her and she desires him and so there's a lot of those kind of things that i think that are that are important uh and so therefore we don't see that that uh, the bible is against the the practice of oral sex but i do think the point you made that it is by mutual consent mutual consent what both yeah. people feel comfortable with and that's one thing that i think is really important and that is for people to talk about sex. Yes. The research has shown that most couples can't talk about sex. It's like a, you know, it's it's like an it's a untouchable, taboo. Taboo, un, yeah. Yeah, taboo. It's an <laughs> untouchable subject. Um, but it is very important for a couple starting on their honeymoon to have relaxed time and to ask the person, you know, what do you feel comfortable with? What is, feels good to you? What do you enjoy? How mm. do you envision, you know? what looks like great making love to you and read some books together um, but I, I do believe that mutual consent and it is also something that you grow into I've read that it takes 20 years to unlock a woman yes, sexually yes so why why is that <laughs> I believe that it's because people don't talk about it they don't know what really pleasures the other person and because the, the people are not open in this aspect of their relationship I believe that they are not honest with each other that I want you to do this. I want, this is pleasurable to me. This is what I desire. And they don't talk about these things. Okay, well, we need to remember as well that we all have a deep desire in our hearts for intimacy, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, social, and physical intimacy. We all have that deep desire, men and women. And so now you get a, a couple that come together, they get married, they both are desiring this deep intimacy, but between them are obstacles. There are obstacles of their own baggage that they bring into the relationship, their own pride, their own selfishness, the way they were raised with dysfunction, and wrongful references that they've experienced in the past, you know? To to achieve the emotional, mental, spiritual, social intimacy takes a lot of hard work. And we see in the book Song of Solomon um, conflict between this couple where the the man comes and he puts his hand in the door and he, he wants to come into her and she says, I don't feel like putting my feet on the floor. I don't feel like getting my feet dirty. And I've taken my clothes off. I don't feel like getting up and, and putting it back on. And then he he leaves. And um, the, then she goes out searching for him. So there's conflict between the two of them. We also see in that book how they handle their conflict by communication and forgiveness. And overcoming the obstacles between us emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually, that leads to that intimacy, that one flesh experience, that all has to do with our sexual intimacy as well. And it is by overcoming those obstacles and those barriers between the two of you that the woman's heart is unlocked and that she experiences this deep trust of this man. When you first get married, 
there's a feeling like, do I really trust you? Are you really in this thing for the long haul? Do you really mean everything that you have said? Are you really in for this thing forever? And are, are you going to treat me with kindness when oh, I show yeah. you my heart? What I'm really like inside. And so yes, that takes when time. Yeah. When you see my faults. When you see my faults, who I really am. Because yes. yeah, we all, we all, and uh, the, the illustration that Alma was using here actually comes from, from, uh, uh, from Pastor uh, Chip Ingram in his marriage uh, seminar that we've, that we've attended as well and, and listened to, which, which shows that we all are actually deeply insecure in our inner being. And we don't want to open up to other people, even our spouse, to really let them know, this is who I really am. Because we all have faults. We all fall, have faults. We, yes. right. we have yeah. the feeling, yeah. if that person was to see my faults, maybe they wouldn't they love wouldn't, me anymore. They wouldn't love me anymore. Maybe they'd yes. take off and leave, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, and so it's only when you've overcome those barriers to intimacy that the woman truly experiences yeah. this man's commitment is there for life. I can really trust him. He's in for the long haul. That is what really unlocks the woman sexually. And I believe that is what I've read. It takes 20 years to unlock a woman sexually. And most people... A lot of divorces happen long before 20 years. Yeah, they give up and long so before. And so they've given up long before <laughs> the most amazing things are going to happen in their relationship. Yes, that's true. So, so let's say they are, you know, happily married <laughs> um, and they communicate and the couple says, okay, we both agree to want to do oral sex. Or it's possible, I think, that the woman says, yeah, you can do it to me, but I don't feel comfortable doing that to you. And that's where boundaries come in and you can say no. Um, but they might wonder hygiene uh and i can understand that because these are organs that we also use to urinate is it dr derek hygienic to do this um actually you know the the dirtiest part on a, on a person's body is actually your mouth oh okay <laughs> yes. and, and people the, kiss all the time and when people they're kiss all the time we stick our fingers in our mouth you yeah. know, we put our food in there you know so yes but th there are some obviously some uh, considerations that we need to take into play and so one needs to uh, make sure just general hygiene all over. I mean, nobody wants to be intimate and make love with somebody if you haven't taken a shower or there's bad odor or you, you're sweaty or you're dirty. Okay, you want to wash yourself, you want to wash your body and you want to present. And when you read in the book uh, Song of Solomon, she's washed, she's put perfume, she's put oil on her, she's put stuff in her bed uh, and, and all these kind of things. She's, she's made preparations and she's ready. Okay, and I think we do the same thing whether we're going to do regular sex or whether we're going to do oral sex or whatever, you know, people or whether you're going to be kissed all over your body. You know, it doesn't matter. You 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 take a shower, you wash yourself and you prepare yourself for for that. Right. And I think that that is very important to, you know, have that routine of having that, you know, evening shower. Yeah. We we just love to do that, yeah. make the. Well, I think it brings us back to another one point that I just wanted to bring in. And you kind of mentioned this when you talked about, you know, anal sex. Uh, I mean, there's there's people that feel that, you know, mutual consent between people. Yes, we can do that. And, and it's fine. But uh, the, the thing is that that we need to also realize that uh, um, the anus was and the rectum was not designed for intercourse and penetration. So it was designed for for things to come out, things to come not out, to not come for in. things to go in. And so, uh, when you do those kind of things, as a physician, I have seen uh, people who have done these things with, uh, you know, uh, 
with very uh, you know detrimental uh, effects you know there's tears there's bleeding there's infections there's there's a much higher risk of sexually transmitted diseases that takes place and things when people engage in these activity and that's the reason why god you know discourages those type of activities and things and we should stay stay away from that but on the other side we have people again more ultra conservative people uh, particularly christians who believe that you know only intravaginal sex and orgasm is the only thing that's appropriate and should be performed. And, uh, and uh, that, I believe, is not, not right either. As a matter of fact, when you look at the research, the research actually shows that only 30% of all women actually experience a true orgasm. You know, what we see on pornography and what we see on movies and all these kind of things, most of these women, or maybe say most, almost all of them, fake it. But it's all fake. Why is that, that they don't experience that? Okay. And uh, I think there's, there's several reasons because in the way that sex is performed and, 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 and done, it's not done in a committed relationship, done according to God's way, so that prepares the woman to receive the guy and she's ready to experience lovemaking in its fullness. And therefore, they do not experience an orgasm. I believe that sex that's outside of a committed relationship at the very least, um, but mostly, you know, also sex outside of marriage, premarital sex, extramarital sex, there's no way that the man can get to know the woman and pleasure, pleasure her. Yeah. No. Um, and it takes learning, getting to know her, getting to know her needs, yeah. and that just does not take place outside of marriage. Yeah. Or at so, least... A, very long committed relationship. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree with you there. And so, so that's sad when you look at that statistic. But an, an, an even more sadder statistic than that is that only less than ten percent of women actually experience an intravaginal penetration orgasm. So what's the difference? You mentioned orgasm earlier, and now you mentioned this one. What's the difference okay. between well, the two? Well, it's because uh, a lot of women, the only way they experience an orgasm is with uh, by manually or oral sex or in another way. And so, and so uh, it's not just one way that, that women can experience an orgasm. And so, therefore, and that's the reason why I believe that when you have uh, intercourse or you are in the process of lovemaking, then it's an agreement, mutually agreement between two people as to what they want to do to pleasure each other. Uh, there's not a one prescribed prescription. This is the way it's done. I mean, there are even people that believe you can only have sex in the missionary position and all other positions is of the devil. And that's wrong. You know, I feel that, you know, God has not given us a one prescription. Each person is made individually. They are different. We all experience things in a different way. And so it's between the husband and the wife in the privacy of their bedroom what they decide, what they're going to do in their lovemaking that is pleasurable for the two of them. And that is as widely different between people as people are different from each other. And between a newly married couple, it's a beautiful journey together. Yes. Of getting to know each other better, getting to know each other more deeply on an emotional, spiritual, mental, social, and physical level. And you know, exploring each other's uh, desires and what pleasures each other. It's a journey together, a beautiful journey. Yeah, you grow. You grow in that. You become better at it the older you get. You know, when I was younger, I, I heard the stories and I read the books. And people would say, you know, 
magic explosive sex happens in your 60s. And I thought, oh, come on, this can't be true. You know, I mean, here I'm a young guy. I'm in my 30s. You know, my sex drive is high. You know, it couldn't get any better than what it is right now. Right. And I honestly believe that until you get there. And you allow God to work in your life and you grow closer to God. You become more committed to him. You become more committed to your wife. And then you begin to realize that God opens things. And like Alma was saying earlier, a woman's heart opens and she truly begins to give herself fully. And then you begin to realize, what on earth have I been missing? You know, am I not happy and glad that I stuck this through? You know, because how many times all couples go through times where you say to yourself, you know, Man, you know, I want to get out of here. I have had enough of this. You know, I don't want to do this no more. You this know? man has hurt me so much. This man, man. is, and this woman has hurt me Give so me much. Give me my stuff. Know? I'm out of I'm here. Out of here. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and then you work through your conflict and you work through those things, and then God says, "I reward you because you stick with it and you work out your problems and your conflict, and I will make you become closer and closer and closer." And that's, I believe, the reason why God is used marriage as a way. For for him to describe to us the relationship that he wants with us. Okay? He uses marriage. And the word that God uses that in in John 17 verse 3 where it says, And this is eternal life that you will know me. The word there is the same word that is used in uh, Genesis where it talks about Adam knew Eve and she bore him a son. So that's talking about the intimate sexual relationship. I've never even read that verse like that before. Like, like you said, I, or I thought Adam knew Eve. Okay, they had sex, but it's like no, they knew each other. They knew each other. They had an emotional bond that it was so deep that they knew each other's the depths of each other's hearts. Right, and that's much more than a one-dimensional physical thrill. Yes, just having an ejaculation. A one-night stand. Right. Yeah. This is an emotional, mental, physical, social oneness. Oneness. Yeah. Spiritual one flesh union and it is five dimensional sex which is indescribable compared to just a one dimensional so how can then a married couple if they've been married for a while you know sex is not new to them anymore keep it alive interesting um even even passionate um yeah when they've been married for a while because for some people it might become mundane Right, and that is true, that anything that um, you're not going to put time and effort and work into is going to become mundane. And therefore, it is important for a married couple to have that date night every week. And I am a firm believer. <laughs> My husband and I, we've always joked, by God's grace, we've always been faithful to each other for our 38 years. We've been married. Um, next year, we'll be married 40 years. <laughs> um but we've always been firm believers that we want to have affairs with each other. <laughs> Going on dates. <laughs> because of that research that I, I encountered when I was just, you know, doing my bachelor's in psychology. And we committed that we want to have affairs with each other and that we're willing to spend time, money, to make special events, um, to make romantic times together, schedule fun times. And I believe like scheduling a, a weekend away together once every three months or so, even a week honeymoon. Why only have one honeymoon in your lifetime? We believe that having a um, a week away together is divorce insurance. You have health insurance, you have 
house insurance, you have car insurance, why not insure your marriage? Put the money aside and count it as divorce insurance because it's when you go away for that week alone together. That's when you realize how important your relationship really is, your priorities. You realize what's most important and how unimportant so many of the other things that distract us and occupy our time and how what a high priority we need to give our marriage and we fall in love with each other all over again and so anyway we've we've just been strong believers in that yeah i just want to say something with that and you know most married couples especially when they have children they use that as an excuse that they don't have time to do these things we know but we've had four kids and uh, our kids were pretty close together i had to go to medical school first before we could start having children so we were married for seven years before we before we had children and so uh, our, we wanted four kids so our kids are all close together so we had kids uh, when all our kids were born that we had uh, five four kids five and under all right and so it was a busy time but my wife made a priority with this and we started she started at our church a uh, a babysitting co-op where we would exchange babysitting with other young married couples so that they can have an evening a week that That's they can go awesome. away. We exchanged, okay. we had bingo chips. Yeah. And at the beginning, everyone who joins the co-op, you get a certain number of bingo chips and each one represents an hour of babysitting time and then you pay each other with bingo chips. The bingo chips. <laughs> and if you're out of bingo chips, you have to babysit to get more so yeah. that you can... Yeah. Nice. And so that would give us the time once a week to go out and we would dress up, we would put on my best clothes, we would put on a perfume and the cologne and we would make a special and one one week she would make the the date and I don't know where we're going and one week I would make the date and she doesn't know where we're going and we would go special places special places to eat or do special things just so that we can have that time together and I think if everybody does that I think our marriages and the sex lives within marriage will be way way better than what it is right now because actually you know what when you look at the statistics uh, the statistic says you know that uh, amongst Conservative, evangelical Christian couples, on the average, the sex lives, their sex lives is actually not very good. Why is that? I think, and the reason is because people don't take and make the time, like Alma was saying here. They've let the small little things go, the dates, the special courtesies, the special time, the, the special things that they used to do when they were dating. They don't do it anymore because now they're too busy with the kids, with all other stuff. And many of those things are good things. But they don't do those things. And then their love life dies. And when your love life and your sex life dies, your marriage is just hanging by a thread. You see, there's two aspects to having a great marriage. The one is your commitment. And the other is a feeling of love. Yes. A lot of people have a strong commitment in their marriage. But the feeling of love, that spark that they had when they were dating and when they first got married, that made magic between them. It's gone. It disappeared. And it takes work to keep that feeling of love. And yet that feeling of love and the feeling of being in love can be maintained throughout your marriage. But it takes work. It takes setting time aside, taking thought for romantic connection between the two of you, sending those texts, sending those um you know the flowers yeah yes. fl- yes. flowers yeah. and and romantic messages during the day Get little notes it's right. like it's like when if you're a golfer and you want to become a better golfer you join a club 
you go and do the driving range and you practice. You go to the putting greens and you practice your putting. And you go out once a week and you play your 18 holes of golf. And you 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 buy books and you buy videos and and, and things that teaches you your swing. And you go to go do all those things. If you want to be a good lover, you want to be a good husband, and a, you know not just a father and a churchman. Yes, those things are important. But if I want to good be a good lover to my wife. I better take some books and put some money in and buy some things and find out what I need to do to be a good lover. And the same thing with a wife. Yeah, it's like I got into rock climbing recently, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> and I'm spending, like, I'm literally at work um, and I'm thinking about climbing. And I'm talking to my colleague who's sitting across me who's been climbing for so many years. I'm like, hey, so... I did this climb and like, this is what I did. And this is my whole, and I couldn't get it. What do I do? Or like I video myself climbing and I analyze this video over and over and over again to figure out how can I move my body differently? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I grip this hold? Do I do something else to figure it out? And I spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos or going to climbing gym to practice those things, asking somebody else. Like I was with, um, Lisa Marie today, who is you guys' daughter, mm-hmm. you're both climbing, and we're both like watching each other, figuring this out to mm-hmm. see how can we get to the top, and then how can we what's called ascend, like how can you send this climb? And I think about that in relationships, in dating, in marriage, it's the same thing. Um, and sometimes in dating, this is may- maybe a bit more people more invested, but like you said, like I don't think you ever stop learning, and I think yeah. you have to keep learning about the other person and keep investing because if we invest that much time in something that is an object a sport whatever why not the love of our lives how much more the love of our lives absolutely well you know they say that nothing really worthwhile in life comes without hard work and we believe that (laughs) about our marriage that sometimes you have to put your feelings aside and go and sit down and talk to someone when your feelings are hurt and you don't feel like it. And sometimes you need to put your hand on your spouse's hand and, and, or just put your arm around them and love them even when your feelings are hurt and then take mo, take time to talk it out. And, Yes, there is an aspect to marriage of hard work. And that is when there are hurt feelings, when there's misunderstandings between us, taking that time to communicate, to talk, and to resolve conflict. Uh, Something that we made a commitment that we will not go to bed with anger between us. And I've even heard you guys say that if you're you that one time you guys were on your way to church, I think you told me that Miss Elma, and that you turned around to solve the conflict before you wouldn't go to church unless it was solved. Right, because in scripture, I believe it's in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus said, If your brother has something against you, leave your, your gift. gift at the altar. First, go home and be reconciled to your brother. And that, I believe, applies to us in marriage. Is your spouse not also a brother or sister in Christ? And how can we go to church? It's been a couple of times in our 38 years that we've driven to church. We arrive at church. We look at each other and we go, you know what? We're not on speaking terms. How can we go into church and say, hello, happy Sabbath or whatever, you know, (laughs) and be so friendly to everybody there, whereas we're not on speaking terms with each other that we said, you know what, we need to go back home 
We don't go sort out this conflict, and sometimes it takes three hours to work through, process that conflict, come on the other side of it, and then watch a sermon together and and have a lunch together. But then there's peace between us. And I believe that God has given us one day a week to, that he has set aside that we can have time for the most significant relationships in our life. And that is, and sort out those conflicts, resolve those differences, and have love and peace between the two of you. Okay, so a um, bit of a side question, but also still going to the connecting with the spouse uh, and what if your marriage is not good. Is it is it appropriate for married couples to dress up a certain way? I'm thinking like for the woman maybe, um, particular lingerie, or sometimes it goes even into uh like special outfits leather suits that kind of stuff is that appropriate as christians well firstly i want to say that um mutual consent is very important in a marriage however we always need to keep in mind god's principles and what god has um commanded us and dressing up in a sexy outfit or wearing something special something new or something that your husband likes or has picked out I don't have any problems like that, or even for the husband to wear some special, um, whatever, special underwear. underwear or something really nice or some. Um, it brings spice and it's 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 a fun thing in a marriage. However, there's so much perversion going on. We don't believe that anything that is humiliating, that is violent, mm-hmm. forceful, or rough, is in accordance with Scripture, or that it is an act of love. And that's why God gave us the book, the act of the Song of Solomon, to show us this beautiful romance, the tenderness, the love, the how the man is talking to his spouse and, and complimenting like every aspect of her and how the, the wife compliments her husband, all the beautiful things that they say to each other, the tenderness and the love between them. So like... Passion and tenderness can go together. Right. And that's what comes out in the book of Song right. of Solomon. But nothing that is a perversion. Perversion. Or that is humiliating or, you know, we need to be very, very careful that we are within God's plan. And that's why the Song of Solomon, that book, I believe, it has a spiritual application, it has a symbolic application, but also has a literal application to a couple that's in love and that gets married and is on honeymoon and that we can see what God's ideal is in marriage. So before we, we wrap up, because we've talked a lot about all kinds of questions regarding sex within marriage and, and outside of marriage even, um, and I'd love to know what is the purpose of sex, um, but I, I'd like to go back to the hygiene part specifically does the bible say anything about um women when they're on their periods is is that something that is inappropriate or because i understand that i mean i can't imagine it being comfortable because a woman is usually very sore um but i read online that some women say it's amazing and it actually you know, release the dopamine, makes them physically feel better. Does the Bible say anything about that? 
I mean, there there are, if you read in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of those places where there were some health laws that Moses uh, specifically mentions that during the menstrual flow of a woman that there shouldn't be uh, any sexual intercourse. And I think there are some uh, health risks involved with that. Uh, you know, there's higher risk of uh, of uh, uh, sexually transmitted uh, diseases and also just regular bacterial vaginosis, which is just regular uh, infections. Also, you having blood and uh, things that are down there. And during intercourse, you can get uh, urinary tract infections that can spread up not just to the to the bladder, but also to the kidneys higher. And so you can get those type of things. There's also a higher risk for the development of endometriosis uh, when, when these kind of things specifically if there's trauma that takes place during during intercourse and so uh, um, due to the nature of of sex there there's always possibilities of minor trauma uh, that can that can take place so uh, so those are all health risks and so I don't think that it is advisable uh, for people to have intercourse during uh, um, during a, a woman's menstrual flow. Now, I mean, there's lots of people that claim all kinds of stuff, you know, that uh, that they will experience better this and better this when they have sex in specific times. Or there's also people that say, hey, yeah, no, I get a better sex when I have sex with two women, you know, and all these kind of things. So obviously we need to take these things with a pinch of salt that people right. post and say, you know, they don't always speak the truth. They just say whatever they want to because they that's they want to find an excuse for what they're doing. And we live in so, a world right now of... Uh, anything goes. Everything goes. And when you Perversion. Get, yeah. And when you get movies yes. like Fifty Shades of Grey and yeah. things like that that are, you know, absolutely promoting and yeah. glorifying perversion, then yeah. you, we have reached a very sad point, I would say, in our society. So... The final question. It all comes down to this. Uh, like I said before, we've talked about all kinds of things, which I think I really, you know, I'm really glad we did this because so many people in the Christian world feel a sense of shame. They feel that they can't talk about this. They can't ask questions. And, and I think it's healthy to have someone who is uh, happily married like you guys to have an, an open conversation with like, what about this? What about this? Because I think that people need to be allowed to ask questions and know and not feel ashamed. Um, but so we, we talked a lot about a lot of things. Now, in the Bible, in how God created man and woman, what is the purpose of sex within marriage? I think there isn't just one purpose. Um, I think there's there's multiple purposes. God says, uh, go and be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. So sex is certainly for procreation. This is God's way and means. God could have said, spit in the bowl, both of you together, and a baby is born. <laughs> he could have done that. But he used the sex act uh, to uh, f as a means of procreation. Now, uh, so that's certainly the, the, the one reason, okay, in order to, to, uh, to multiply and to bring forth offspring in your image. And uh, God 
uh, is a God that always creates. He's continuing creating uh, and uh, because that is the essence of love. Love creates new things. I mean, God, after he made one flower, he could have stopped. But uh, he made a million flowers, you know, different ones. He made a million trees, all different from each other. Even in the human race, you know, he could have made one person and this, but then he made black ones and and uh, and all kinds of colored ones and short ones and, and fat ones and tall ones and thin ones. And, you know, everybody's different. And so, because God is a God of variety. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so that's the, the one reason. The other reason I think is, is a, a reason is bonding. Okay. Uh, I think God made the sex act. Uh, when you read in the scripture, a, a man would, after he's married, after his wedding, he would consummate the wedding by going in and having intercourse with his wife. Now she becomes his and it is a, it's a, almost a signing or a final step in a, in a covenant where now she belongs to him. And so, uh, so I think that's a reason there's bonding that takes place. And we talked about uh, different uh, hormones that are being released that, that uh, you know, made that bonding more powerful. And so certainly bonding is another, another reason. But there are also many, many things. Humans are the only animals that really have pleasure involved in sex, where there's certain aspects and certain uh, nerve complexes and things that's purely there for only for pleasure. So God made it for pleasure, uh, for something that a husband and wife can do together uh, and enjoy. And uh, I think that's the three reasons and the three uh, uh, purposes of sex for procreation, for bonding and oneness and union and for pleasure. God has created it for that. And that's the reason why he also uses the marriage uh, metaphor as an explanation of our relationship with him. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. The church is his bride. And we're going to this marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's going to be an incredible, pleasurable thing. Uh, yeah, not sexually pleasurable, but you know. Like yeah, not sexually ple- pleasurable, ple- yeah. but in that sense, if you think sex is the most pleasure you can experience on this earth, God says even more than that is going to be the reunion of him and his church. Uh, and so, uh, so that's how God uses this because that's the best way that we can understand it. You know, that's so why God gives it to us in that way. Well, and also, it's also a metaphor of uh, the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit are three in one. Three in one. And the same yes. way in the marriage, they, the two shall be one, one flesh, flesh. Yeah. one flesh union. And so when a man looks after his wife, he's actually taking care of himself, is what the Bible says. I am Danique Tersmet, and you are listening to the Little Light Studios podcast. If you like our show, make sure to leave us a comment and a five-star review. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube show, Video Bible Study, in which we seek to answer a Bible question in five minutes or less. And don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. We would love to hear from you.